we make money from the jail. We need people to go to jail. We need people to have these sentences. I'm the sheriff. You making me look bad. Uh-uh. Not y'all Negroes out here doing this. So he got his little witnesses together. He got his key witness. He's like, oh yeah, I know this guy. He he knows Dr. Buzzard well. He's been around him. He's seen him. He got the receipts. Once he gets up there, there's going to be no doubt that it's going to, we're going to prove that he's out here practicing medicine without a license, putting people at harm. But that, that, that. Child, a key witness gets up there and starts convulsing. Hey, 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 bays! Welcome, welcome, welcome. Bienvenidos a Kawaba to a little juju podcast. The Womanist Witchy Insight Pod, diving deep into Black pop culture, the Black healing journey, and the ancestral spiritual systems that can help get us free. This is the hashtag Black Ass Spirituality Show, and I am your host, Juju Bay. I'm a hoodoo, a psychic, and a Risha devotee, but most importantly, and never forget, a bad bitch witch. So welcome to the next week, y'all. Hey, hey, hey. I say I miss y'all every episode, but I I do be missing y'all. I do be missing chatting and updating you and telling you the tea that I don't share everywhere. Like I try to save some things for the pod because I'm like, my listeners are, I don't know, like my listeners are intentional in wanting to listen. On Instagram, you know, people just may come across, you see, but like my listeners are my listeners. So I be wanting to tell y'all the stuff. So I hope y'all are feeling good and well and surviving the heat, honey, because <laughs> it is hot, which is why I have been at the pool. I've had a little like pool day. There's this little hotel that kind of is like doing a little community pool day and it's really cute. So I've been going there to get my, to, to my cool downs on Tuesday and, you know, chilling there poolside. I'm a poolside girl. And also, man, I have so much I'm doing the research project right now with my research assistant, which I hope you signed up for if you're interested in being interviewed um, and chosen. I'm really excited about being able to offer what I learn back to the community. And also, you know, academic journals and stuff. I'm trying to be published, scholar, scholar JB. So please, please, please sign up for that if you want. Um, I also hung out with Kaylani the other day. And I thought that that was so, first of all, it was so random. <laughs> like I never thought I would be hanging out with Kaylani, but she hit me up. She DM me when she was in DC. And um, for those of you who don't know, I am in Baltimore. So it's like a 45 minutes to an hour out. And what's so funny is that my partner and I had just left DC that same day that she hit me up. Like, Hey, are you in DC? I was like, I just left DC, but we'll come back. <laughs> and I ended up going back with my partner and we went out and she's so cool. Like such a sweetheart, super grounding, like very, very like personality just was really, really genuine. Like you meet certain people and you're like, oh, you're you're authentic. Like you're, you're real. She was totally that. So she was really, really a sweetheart. And you know, she's an Orisha devotee. She's one of the girls. So we love a Oshun, a Oshun, a Oshun child. So yeah, we had the honeypot connection going and yeah, I, you know, this, this work, you know, my podcast and everything is just putting me in places that I just never imagined or thought or, consider would be possible. Like sometimes I feel like I've talked about, you know, probably Kaylani on the podcast before and like all oh, these celebrities are practicing and da 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 and they're, you know, really embracing these ancestral religions and then finding myself then being not just talking about them as like a fan or someone that I just see in the world, but somebody who I now have access to, you know, whose number I have. It's just such an interesting place that I'm in of like, okay. 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 So yeah, that was really, really exciting for me and fun. And yeah, I just feel like there's a lot of different things that have been coming up that are taking me by surprise, but are beautiful. So, you know, just being open to all the random, uncanny, amazing things that that are 
that are happening and coming for me my way and wishing that for you all as well. So to get into the show, oh, before I get into the show, I have to say that uh, one of my friends was like, and, I, and mind you, I don't even think that my friends listen to the show. Like I never considered that my friends listen. And so when they mention the podcast or say something about an episode, I'd be like, oh, you listen to my podcast? <laughs> like, friend, I had no idea you listened to the show. But uh, one of my friends, Ia Oshundara, oh, these episodes, like your summer episodes and like the past few episodes have been really, really good. Like I love them. I'm loving like the new sound and everything. And I was like, oh, thanks. So I just have to say thank you to my team. Thank you to Domino Sound for really assisting me and helping me elevate and grow this podcast. And I was just really, really grateful that someone told me like, you know, these episodes you've been putting out is hitting. Like, go ahead, girl. So I'm like, yes, thank you. So I have to just say thank you to being able to have some support for this season in particular. I'm really, really grateful to Domino. Grateful for those of you who helped me be able to pay <laughs> my patrons and folks who pour into me so that I can continue to pour into y'all. Okay, so today's episode is me telling stories and talking about some folk tales. I know that I've had some requests and y'all like when I share different stories, different lore, um, talk about different conjurers and, and root workers. So that's what I wanted to do today. I wanted to cover three stories and conjurers in particular. And so I'm going to put my Professor Juju hat on because I've been researching and reading and wanted to share some stuff I haven't shared with you already. And, you know, as we know, a lot of my wisdom and the things that I think about and know and share with you all are because of not just tradition, but from oral history that's been passed down. And thankfully, you know, some of our peoples now and in the past have started to write down some of these histories. But, you know, oral tradition is a very, very important part of hashtag black ass spirituality and really just black culture in general. So I love to continue on in that, that griot tradition that our people do and have done so well. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. So first up is the, the conjurers, the hoodoos, by the name of the Seven Sisters or the Seven Sisters of New Orleans. So as it sounds, these were seven sisters, allegedly. <laughs> um, they were very, very powerful, you know, hoodoo slash voodoo women uh, who lived in New Orleans, Louisiana, uh, around the 1920s. And they were super psychic. They were very clairvoyant. They were known for their clairvoyance. People would come to get read by them. It said that you really didn't even have to tell them that much information. They could read you down, you know, just by looking at you and be able to tell parts of your future just by just by seeing you. Also, uh, they say that the seven sisters were able to read people's minds. So the interesting thing, there's a lot of interesting things about the seven sisters, um, but apparently they were all identical. So it gave not sex tuplets, not Quinn. <laughs> Hold on. What's the name of identical seven people? <laughs> I don't even know how to type it in. Okay, sep septuplets. So it gave septuplets. See, I'm gonna teach y'all something every day. So they apparently were just, you could hardly tell the seven sisters apart from each other. And on top of that, nobody really knew how old they were because they looked so youthful. Like they said, they always looked like they were 20. <laughs> they always just gave youthful fountain of youth. So the lore aspect of this is that there's some controversy as to whether they even, not whether they existed, but if it was just one woman who was posing as seven different people. So there's a whole different thing. There was one woman who was potentially dressing herself differently and naming herself different names and show up as if she was seven sisters. 
Like she was one of her seven sisters. Another lore is that there was one woman again and she was the seventh sister, but she was the one that was the psychic and the voodoo woman that people came to see. And then there's the story of there were actually seven sisters who were voodoo sons or hoodoo sons. Oh, and there's also, sorry, there's another story that there was a seventh daughter or there was a seventh son that was believed to possess sort of these powers and the gifts of prophecy. So it kind of depends on who you ask, who may study the story or different people who know the story, who live in New Orleans about if there were seven sisters or just one. And, and there's also part of the lore that they owned a home in the 2300 block of Coliseum street. It's a whole, it's so interesting because there's so many different stories, but where I learned about the seven sisters was from a story of Miss Ida Carter. Now, Miss Ida Carter is a woman who is not from New Orleans. She's actually from Alabama. She goes by Ida Seven Sisters Carter, born in the 1900s. And she was a root worker from Hogansville, Alabama. Now, there's not a lot of information about Miss Ida. Um, She just said that she was called to root working at seven years old. And apparently every year on the first day of May each year, she she would burn seven candles and do a ritual for six consecutive nights. She did that every May, six consecutive nights, burned her candles. And she did this for seven years. And on the seventh year, the Holy Spirit, she says, told her that she was ready to be a hoodoo, that she was ready to be a community root worker. And so she basically initiated herself into hoodoo, into voodoo. She learned the mysteries through this seven-year ritual, this seven-year initiation ceremony, really. And when she did that, she started offering her services to the local community. And I heard about her story in the Hoodoo Tarot deck, which I really, really love. So she also went by Seven Sisters, which also shows like the names within Hoodoo and in Voodoo. People people take names and use names. When I was doing research on Seven Sisters, there were so many things that came up because there's bands named after Seven Sisters. There's brands named after Seven Sisters, spiritual shops named after the Seven Sisters. Like the Seven Sisters are seem to be very popular, particularly if you live in New Orleans, but if you know lore, but I hadn't, I was not familiar with, with the Seven Sisters. There's also a book called The Seven Sisters of Algiers, which I haven't read, but Algiers is a part of Louisiana from what I know, traditionally a black area, I think, I believe. <laughs> yes. So that is a story of the Seven Sisters. I will also add that there is a song that mentions the Seven Sisters. And there's a blues singer named John T. Funny Paper Smith. The blues singers have the best names. (laughs) John T. Funny Paper Smith actually wrote a song in the 1930s about the Seven Sisters called Seven Sisters Blues. Seven sisters in New Orleans that can really fix a man up right. They tell me seven sisters in New Orleans that can really fix a man up right. And I'm headed for New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm traveling both day and night. I am Sally Old. Yeah, and he talks about them conjuring and basically is asking them for help in ruling the world. (laughs) So again, these are very, very popular stories and these were very, very popular women at the time. So what does this mean? You know, again, this is Louisiana. Louisiana has some of the best lore around the voodoo and spiritual world. And it's also such a secret keeping place. Like there's a lot of things there that of course became popularized and marketed, but there's still a lot of sacred stories and lore that exists there. And, you know, this story has, has changed so much over time, which is something that we see a lot with, with 
with stories of our, our ancestors and, and spiritual folk, because even though people did it, it wasn't necessarily always something that people talked about openly, super openly. Or did you want people to know that you were going to see the voodoo lady or you were going to see the seven sisters who might have been one who might have been seven? <laughs> or you're going to see Miss Ida Carter in, uh, in Alabama. So these stories often get mixed up and there's so many, like I said earlier, there's so many different brands and names and people who took on the names and also adding whenever the seven sisters existed, whether it was one or seven, there was somebody, there was something going on, but there was other people who would, who would take their name and call themselves that person. Like other people would call themselves Marie because of Marie Laveau. So other people were saying that they were the seven sisters and they might not have been, which is super, super common practice that you see in a lot of these traditions. And what I find super interesting, particularly in the story of Miss Ida though, Miss Ida Seven Sisters Carter was this concept of self-initiation into hoodoo. And I think I've probably said on this podcast, or you may have heard a lot of people say like, you can't, you don't initiate yourself into a practice. You don't, you can't initiate yourself into an ATR. Although I do feel like a lot of people are saying this in reference to African traditional religions. Like they'll be talking about, you cannot initiate yourself as a Babalao. <laughs> you know, you cannot initiate yourself to be an Oshun priest. You have to go through an initiation. People have to give you and guide you through a particular ceremonial process and rituals in order for you to receive that Orisha. And I think that that's valid. However, I think within hoodoo, it, it, it can be tricky. It can be a little bit different. We don't, we're not saying, you know, go out here and you can initiate yourself and now you're a voodoo son and now you know everything. And now, you know, you have initiated yourself as a priest of hoodoo. It doesn't quite work like that. But I think with the example of Miss Carter was that she had the support and she didn't initiate herself. She was initiated by that spirit, the Holy Spirit, as she calls it. And this was a seven year self-initiation. But once she went through it, she got a clear vision that it was time to offer her services. Seven years, y'all. So I think it it points to how there's room in hoodoo for, yes, you need you know your elders. Yes, this is a communal practice. But it also is one that's very personal and very intimate and about your relationship to your own spirits. You know, my hoodoo spirits might not be and probably aren't yours outside of maybe we have some collective ancestors that we we all venerate and honor. But the spirits that tell me it's start, time to start working, maybe my ancestors or some of my guides, you know, your spirits might tell you not to start working then or you should work a little earlier or you're to get into herbalism and other people are supposed to start doing readings and divining. So I really wanted to to share that with y'all just because I think a lot of times we'll see people like, you don't self-initiate, you can't self-initiate, you can't self-initiate. But then we also have examples of people who do um, and who were good at their craft, like Miss Ida, Seven Sisters Carter. If you are from New Orleans or any other place and you know some more information about the Seven Sisters, please feel free to, to share and send me things and all of that. Or if you've heard of them, I definitely want to talk to some folks who are familiar. Okay, so for our next folk tale, we are discussing Mama Glow, Mama Glow, Mama Glow. <laughs> There's many, there seems to be many different ways to say it, but I'm gonna call her Mama Glow from Trinidad. So I had to say a Trini tale because why did I just learn that I have Trinidadian ancestry? father i'm 30 he just told me the other day i'm like daddy how why how how did i not know 
week was Trini. So my my paternal, my dad's father's father's people, father's people are from Trinidad. So my great, I think maybe two greats, two or three greats came to Alabama from Trinidad. I knew they was from Alabama, but I actually haven't known a lot about my grandfather, my paternal grandfather's life. I don't know that much. I know much more about my grandmother's lineages, not so much about my grandfather's. And I was like, not me being Trini Twitty Bone. Boy, boy. <laughs> so I thought it was appropriate for me to to share a, a, a tale, a story from my home, like for but from Trinidad and, and Tobago. So shout out to my Trini Gallim. All right. So yes, we're we're talking about the story of Mama Glow. So who is Mama Glow? I love, I'm just so excited because it's a water spirit. So Mama Glow is a, what some will say a creature, but really a mermaid um, who is understood as the mother of the river. And she's the protector of the animals of the river. She is a protector of fish and all who are in the sea. She is depicted as a beautiful woman. She has long, you know, silver hair. Sometimes it's golden, sometimes it's dark. And her upper body is typically, um, you know, like her breasts are out and her bottom half is not a tail as we think about mermaids, but it's a, it's a, a snake. An anaconda is what I understand. And she... <laughs> so this story that I want to share... I just have to give a slight content warning for horror because it's, I'm not going to make it graphic, but it is like, oh, wow, there's a lot going on. <laughs> it is. But I just have to say it's it's slight horror. So long ago, there was a village that rested on a seashore and for the most part everyone in the village was cool they was hanging out they was you know doing them working together being communal but unfortunately it was stricken by poverty particularly when it came to food it was almost like a famine people really really struggled to have enough food and you know they they rested on the seashore so they really really needed fish you know it was really important to bring in fish and other sea creatures that they could eat, but there just was not enough fish to survive, which then contributed to them not being able to sell fish. So the economy's messed up. It was just really, really bad. And so people were just growing, just so thin from hunger. They were angry because they're not eating, okay? Getting very hangry. And so... This particular village that was, for the most part, okay, everyone's getting along, actually became very dangerous. It became very hostile. It became people would steal from each other. People were hurting one another. It just was not good. And so there's a woman named Suki. And Suki is the wife of the chief of this particular village. And Suki was pregnant. And for the most part, the chief, you know, the chief's people, they're okay. And they tried to share the amount of food they had, but they were also getting hit. And Suki knew that it was something that she had to do. She was pregnant. She was like, I can't, the children here are starving. I'm about to have a child. I cannot bring my child into a village that is just completely unacceptable. So the legend has it is that she went on a full moon She went to the seashore where they say that Mama Dlo could be found. And you had to call her properly in order for her to come. And Suki knew this. And so she goes down there. She says, all right, this is my last hope. I got to see if Mama Dlo can help us. So she says, thee, thee down below, come to me, Mama Dlo. And she chanted this three times and... Once she chanted it that third time, she heard a loud crack and the waves kind of crashed, like her tail crashed the waves and Mama Glow came. She was there. She was looking beautiful. 
Her hair was just glistening under the moonlight. She had her jewels on. Giving back a bitch. Okay. And now some of the stories about Mama Glow said that she was ugly. You know, that her skin was scaly and that she had weird teeth and everything else. But no, she was a beautiful black mermaid with beautiful big eyes, a sweet smile. And Suki's like, oh, okay, Mama Glow's here. And she's fine. Okay. So she's like, Mama Glow, please, please help us. There's not enough fish. We don't, we're struggling. It's famine. Please, please, please help us. Suki gets on her knees. She's begging and pleading. And Mama Glow is like, okay, um, well, I protect the fish. My fish are precious to me. So if I allow, you know, my fish to help you all, what are you going to do for me? And Suki's pleading. She's like, anything, anything, Mama Glow, please. I will do anything. And Mama Glow's like, anything. So Suki's like, yes, please. And so Mama Glow says, okay, well, when your your son is born, your first son, bring him here to see me. And Suki takes a deep breath. She's like, okay. She she holds her belly like, I don't Mama Glow says, I mean, you don't have to, but if you don't, I will figure out another way to be paid. So you can bring your child or I'll take matters into my own hands. She said, we can do this easy way or the hard way. And Suki was like, well, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bringing you my child. And Mama Glow's like, oh no, you are, you agreed. You said anything. I asked you again and you said yes, anything to save your people. So that is what I want. Then Suki is afraid. She's crying that she hears a loud crack like that, that sound of Mama Glow's tail hitting the water. And Suki wakes up in her bed as if it was just all a nightmare, but she wakes up covered in so much sweat. It's like she just jumped in a river and got in the bed. So she's soaking wet and she looks down and her baby's being born, child. <laughs> the baby is coming out. So the chief, her husband is going to get the midwife. You know, of course the entire village comes. This is a very exciting experience because of the son. This is the chief's firstborn. And so everyone is is happy to see the baby and the baby's actually born in the coal. So if you're unfamiliar with that, that's like the, I guess that's like the embryonic sack that babies can be born in, sort of like this clear or sometimes white sack. And, you know, they say that babies that are born in the sack in the coal are blessed, that they are blessings, they're good omens. And sometimes also that they are very spiritual, psychic, sometimes are clairvoyant. So these are different things that they say about the call. So the baby was born in a call. So the people were like, this is a great omen. This is good luck. We're going to be fed the firstborn son of the chief in a call. We lit. So everybody's celebrating. Everybody's happy The God's favor us. Amen and shame. So the sun rose the next morning. The fishermen went out to get their fish and baby. They were overwhelmed with the amount of fish they were that were caught. They saw more fish in one day that they anyone had seen in the entire village for three months. They listen, they was making um they was probably making fried fish and baked fish and bacon shark and <laughs> everything else. So they're they're happy. And they're like, wow, Suki, it's Suki's son. Praise Suki's son. Yes, we have to celebrate. This is a lucky baby. So all the days prior to this, for weeks, fish, prosperity fish, the, they making money, they selling the fish, the economy is booming again, everybody's eating. Everyone's getting thick again. So Suki is just like, okay, everything's good in the village. I saved the day. She forgets about her own promise to Mama Glow. She was just like, oh, that wasn't real anyway. It was probably just a dream. You know, my son is the reason that this came because he was born in the call, not because of some, you know, little half woman, half snake lady who lives at the water. So she dismissed it. And so the next night of the full moon, Mama Glow was like, okay, I'm waiting for Suki. I'll wait for this, this full moon for her to come. Suki never came on the next full moon. 
So the next morning, Suki wakes up and hears crying, screaming, just blood curdling screams. And it's the sounds of four mothers who lost their children to the sea. They wandered there in the night and disappeared. Four young children, water disappeared, were completely gone. So people are looking for the children. Where are they? Like, no, they went in the water. They drowned, hope their bodies will wash up to shore. The village is in mourning because they've lost children. So even though those children had died, they're still bringing in the fish. Fish are still coming in. Everyone's still eating. Everyone is still thankful that Suki's son is such a blessing. But then the next full moon, eight children wandered into the sea and drowned. So they're like, you know, they couldn't understand it. Obviously, there's so many people in mourning now. The children were warned to stay inside. The children weren't allowed to play at the sea anymore unless they had supervision. But yet every month on the full moon night, more and more children died. They wandered into the sea and drowned. Even children who were too young to walk in the middle of the night, they would be their Their parents or their caregivers and guardians would walk them out and give them to the water. So... You know, of course, everyone is shook, but they're also like, I mean, but we still got our food. Like, we're, we're at least we're still, you know, make, being able to bring our fish in. But this is really strange. Like, maybe people are being kidnapped. Maybe we're missing something. Maybe we're, we don't know what's what's going on. And Suki, in the back of her head, is like, she feels that nag. Like, she knows she need to go to the water. She knew it was Mama Glow who was taking the children, but she just kind of pushed it out and. She just didn't give up hope that her son was the blessing. And again, the fishing was still better than ever. They're bringing in a lot of food. But then it was just with every full moon, the the amount of fish started to be around the number of children that were lost. So if 18 children were lost, they would get like 18 fish. But if it was like 50 children lost, it would be 50. If it was 100, you know, the, the numbers, they're losing children a lot, but they're getting more and more fish. So the villagers are like, okay, all the children are dying. So Suki, what's happening? What's going on? They begged her to do something and they know about Mama Glow. They know like, maybe you should go and talk to Mama Glow and convince her to, to stop if this is something with Mama Glow. And Suki's like, no, I'm I'm not talking to her. She has nothing to do with this. I'm not addressing Mama Glow. But in her mind, she's like, okay, I know I need to. But the villagers are starting to turn their back on her because they know what's, they kind of feel like they know what's happening and they want Suki, the chief's wife, to go and address what's happening. So... One of the things that they decided to do was on the next full moon, they set up guards at the oceans and seas. They made sure that no one went to sleep on the full moon. They made the children stay up. The adults stayed up. No children were going to wander. No one was going to sleep. They were dancing, trying to like throw a party as a village. But eventually they got tired. The vigilant People, guards who were guarding the water, they all just fell asleep. They were partying too much. And so same thing happened. Boom. All of the firstborns now were missing. And Suki wakes up and sees that her son, her baby, is actually leading the pack of all the babies going to the water. So she screams. She's like, oh, my God. She runs behind them. She's overcome with grief. And she's like, Mama Glow, come down. Mama Glow, you know, Dee Dee down below. Come to me, Mama Glow. So she cracks her tail. She sees Mama Glow. And Suki is looking terrified. She's upset. She's crying. But Mama Glow looks different this time. She... She doesn't look how she looked before. She looks a lot more scary. And Mama Glow is actually eating a baby. Like she's, you see her like kind of ripping the skin from a child sucking the bones. And Suki is screaming, how could you do this? These are our children. How could you take them from us? You have all the food in the sea. What are you doing? And Mama Glow's like, I'm not eating children. I'm eating fish. I only eat fish. So... 
you know, Mama Glow has the full moon on her and she was hideous. The green tail was not of emerald. It was like a dingy, vile snake. Her beautiful dark skin was gray. It was wrinkled. Her teeth were protruding out. They were sharp and yellow. Her hair wasn't shining. It was actually, her head looked like bones and scales and seaweed. A a sight to see. So Suki was just so over. She was stressed. Our girl Suks was stressed. And Mama, Mama Glow's like, I told you to have my payment. While she's, mind you, sucking on the bones. She said, I told you to bring your son to me because he was born with my blessing. And Suki's like, well, I wasn't going to bring my son to you because you were going to eat him. I would not be a good mother if I had brought my son to you to eat him. And Mama Glow starts laughing. She's like, I told you I only eat fish. Why would I want to eat a child? And why would I want to eat a child that I blessed? She's like, I am not so cruel as to take life as a payment. And the children who left, they did return. You just didn't notice that they returned. I didn't take these kids. I'm not eating the babies that they came back. So Mama Glow is still, you know, she's eating, sucking on the bones. And she looks down and she sees her son next to Mama Glow. And he's eating a piece of fish. And But he had a tail like Mama Glow now. And he smiled at his mother, but his teeth looked like hers. They were sharp. So he looked, he was a whole mer baby. <laughs> and he said to her, no, mommy, only monsters eat children. Those of the water eat fish. So he took another bite of what he was eating and flicked his tail. So every fish that had been caught that day in the village at that moment was no longer a fish. There was actually mangled bodies. Um, You know, the children, children were laid out. They were hanging where they hung the fish. It looked like children where they were fish in their stews and in their soups. It was actually the heads of the children. And so the children who had wandered out into the sea did not drown. They actually became fish. And so when they became fish and they saw their parents coming out to fish and to get, you know, to to fish as fishermen, they were like, oh, daddy, you know, and they would hop into their, their nets so that they could go home with them. Ciao. (laughs) So they, they, the village was finally able to see that they were not fish, that they were babies. So Suki, of course, the whole town is like upset what a curse to have, right? Where you think that you're overflowing with fish and it's actually like your children. And when they saw Mama Glow, what looked like eventually it changed back from her eating a child and it looked as if she was eating fish again. So it was like this really intense, scary, like mind F. And so, yeah, the the children laid there um, dead and they were everywhere. And Mama Glow said what she said. She turned back into her beautiful form, snapped her tail and vanished, as too did Suki's child. And so it is said that in this village, every person went, they they lost it. Like they, they all snapped because it was such a traumatic and horrible event. Obviously, they couldn't bear seeing all of these bodies, dead bodies. And some people did end up making it to the mainland away from this, you know, cursed town. Other people starved to death because they didn't know what to do. And others would wander into the sea. And those of them that did remain on the land, they never fished again. They only farmed and ate animals from the land and not from the sea. And they never allowed any visitors to have food from the sea. And so even today on a full moon, they say that Mama Glow will send her little child, Dembo, Suki's baby, onto the land so that he can steal away children from negligent or selfish parents and turn them into fish. So not really a happy ending. (laughs) It's giving Jordan Peele, (laughs) not quite a happy ending. But what can we, what can we take from this story? Um, Well, first of all, 
that story was written out from someone on Watt, Wattpad. Shout out to them. But that is actually the the legend, the lesser known legend of Mama Glow. Apparently, this is not a super popular lore or one that is commonly talked about, but one that is one that does exist. And of course, I like this because I love water spirits. I love the concept of water spirits. And for those who don't know, water spirits are spirits of the water, just as it sounds. You will find in African lore and particularly that of the diaspora, there is often a deity that protects the fish. There is often a deity that protects the water and shows up as this myrrh mermaid and not even necessarily always a woman uh like figure this is not even just throughout the african diaspora but there are many many and i taught a class on this to children of many many different water spirits from from china to the philippines to um Israel, like there's many, many cultures have a, a water spirit. And so the ones that we typically know and think about is Mami Wata. Mami Wata has many names. Mami Wata seems to be somewhat of a general name, depending on who you're talking to, but talks about the, the stories of a mer person, a mermaid. And Mami Wata is typically worshipped in South and Central Africa, West Africa, throughout the Caribbean and across the diaspora. Of course, many of you are familiar with Yemaya, Yemoja from the Yoruba people in Nigeria, which is the mother of fishes, literally what her name means. And so we kind of see some similar qualities of that with Mama Glow. However, Mama Glow also has a side where she's she's turns ugly. I think sometimes when we see the other mermaid images for whatever reason they become super not even just sexualized but not often seen as super scary but i think when you like when i be on mermaid tiktok <laughs> particularly with the haitians <laughs> the haitians got the mermaid stories okay and the jamaicans they are always telling different stories about how you have to be careful how you can't go to the water and i think a story like this kind of solidifies why because we know that yes mama glow protects the water she protects the fishes but she will mess you up she will curse you and she all it is also said that she makes people which is for many water spirits that i've learned and read about she will make certain people particularly men her husbands and this is a a, a curse this is not the best thing to be her husband because she does with you what she wants to do but she chooses certain men when they are negligent when they may be causing havoc people who are abusive but also people who do not care for the water people who um you know maybe are overfishing or going in areas that are dangerous or involved in heavy pollution etc Typically, she will call those people to live with her in her lair and consistently drown them, make them human again, drown them, make them human again, harm them, have her way with them. Like it gets really, really deep, but it shows the, the, the lengths that she will go to protect her children, the mother of fishes that, that Mama Glow will do. And what I really like about these kinds of stories is that it reminds us that these traditions, these Afro-diasporic traditional lore and stories are really about caring for our planet. You know, whether it is a spirit of the forest or a spirit that is guarding the waters, it shows that when you do fucked up shit to the to the to earth, the earth is going to do fucked up shit back to you. It is a reminder that a spirit, these spirits are always going to get their lick back. And I think it's such a powerful critique and reminder, particularly when we just have a lot of bullshit going on in the world that can be explained through, you know, the many isms and lenses. But when you do clownery, the clownery is going to come back in the form of you know, the sicknesses or the droughts or the famines or the, like all of these things that impact us. Because yeah, people are out here 
fossil fueling and dropping oil in the water. We can't even swim. We can't even, we are drinking waters, highly polluted certain places. Like acid in the water, like there's, it's just completely unacceptable in how we as humans have, we really fumbled the bag when it came to earth. And so this reminder was like, yeah, no, it's actually not a happy ending because it didn't start off happy. It could have been cool, but you were over harvesting. You were doing too much. You were being greedy. It was all of this. And then you didn't follow up on what you said, which is another point. You got to follow up on your packs with these spirits as well, because again, they will get their lick back. If you told a spirit, you're going to give them an offering when you got the thing and you got the thing and you didn't give an offering, they're going to get their lick back. <laughs> so this was such a good, honest story. I stand Mama Glow, quite frankly. Um, also, there's some lore that says that Papa Bois is her husband. You can see that all these names are derived from French language. Papa Bois, however, is a pretty popular character in Trinidadian uh, and Tobago and St. Lucia lore. And apparently like very well known and maybe one of the oldest characters within TNT lore out of all of them. So lots of folks know Papa Bois, less know Mama Glow. So you know I had to talk about Mama Glow. Shout out to my <laughs> my Trinis and those of you who are familiar with that story. If you weren't, hope you learned something. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. And for our last story, I'm actually going to be talking about a conjurer named Dr. Buzzard, a.k.a. Stephen Robinson. I've also seen his name written as Stephanie Robinson, but Stephen Stephanie Robinson. And he is, I've mentioned Dr. Buzzard on here before, but I haven't gone into detail. So I, I did want to talk about who he was because he's such an important, important hoodoo. And why he's so lit, I mean, he was a great conjurer, a great uh, root worker in particular from St. Helena Island. Shout out to the South Carolina baddies, the Gullah Geechees. And his specialty in particularly was chewing the root. So he was a root worker. You know, he was doing him on his business, helping the people out, helping the people who were being criminalized or having harsh sentences from the man. People would call Dr. Buzzard to get them out. Now, this is what put him on the map. So he got into conflict. Robinson, Dr. Buzzard got in a conflict with J.E. McTeer, who was a sheriff of Beaufort County, honey. And the sheriff of Beaufort County was trying to charge Dr. Buzzer because he saw all of these people were going to him and getting medicines and all of this stuff. And Dr. Buzzer, they had no license, child. They, he had no license. He had the license of the Lord. Okay. He was doing the work that, that he was blessed to do with his hands as a good hoodoo working king. But, you know, the man going to hate. Okay. The FDA is going to call. And he's like, oh, no, you can't be doing this. I'm suing you. So, Sheriff. McTeeter, McTeer, he he took him to court. And McTeer got his witnesses together. He got, you know, the people like, we are going to take down this buzzer character. And also he's keeping people out of jail. And we make money from the jail. We need people to go to jail. We need people to have these sentences. I'm the sheriff. You making me look bad. Uh-uh. Not y'all Negroes out here doing this. So he got his little witnesses together. He got his key witness. He's like, oh yeah, I know this guy. He he knows Dr. Buzzard well. He's been around him. He's seen him. He got the receipts. Once he gets up there, there's going to be no doubt that it's going to, we're going to prove that he's out here practicing medicine without a license, putting people at harm. But that, that, that. Child, a key witness gets up there and starts convulsing. <laughs> he just went up there and went and started convulsing. Child, I just imagine him foaming at the mouth. He couldn't speak. He couldn't say anything. It was just nothing that he could say. And this was the primary witness. 
the one we needed this. And that was it, honey. (laughs) He couldn't, he was found not guilty. And that's what gave him the stamp of like, okay, so this, this man is popping, but you know, uh, Sheriff McTeer, he didn't stop. He, he consistently tried to bring him down. And every attempt that McTeer made to lock Dr. Buzzard up and stop him from practicing, it failed. Until the sheriff started studying root work. Because he's like, okay, clearly there's something here. Clearly there's something going on here. Let me... Let me see what this root work and shit is all about. So the sheriff starts practicing root work. And he starts telling people that he's a doctor. He's a powerful witch doctor. He's he's the juju man. Sheriff McTeer. He starts doing, McTeer starts doing juju to the point where Dr. Buzzer's son drove his car into a causeway and drowned. So... McTeer was throwing that juju back, honey. He was got his reversals. I don't know what he did, okay? But Dr. Su- Dr. Buzz's son drowned, which is so horrible. And so Dr. Buzzard, they called a truce. He's like, look, you ain't about to take my son now. What, what do you want? And so he promised to give up, you know, the root work and the medicine, but not spells, not the spells. He said he would give up medicine, but not his spells. And that's what he did. And so when um, Dr. Buzzard died, he passed his business on to his son-in-law, who was known locally as Buzzy. And that is the story of the iconic Dr. Buzzard. So like I said, this is a story of of a real man, by the way, this is not, um, Of course, there's aspects sometimes to people's personalities and things that could be lore, but we know that Dr. Buzzard did exist. Stephanie Robinson did exist. He was born 1885 and died in 1947. The thing about Dr. Buzzard is that there are so many because he was so iconic, kind of how we talked about early with people changing their name and making their name Marie if they did root work and calling themselves Seven Sisters. There were many, 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 many Dr. Buzzards after Mr. Stephanie or Stephen Robinson. So when we look up information about Dr. Buzzard, sometimes you have to be sure that you're talking about Robinson and not the other ones. Because I saw there was a Dr. Buzzard that was on David Letterman. <laughs> a David Letterman show back back in the day. I was watching it. The festive holiday season just wouldn't be complete without a visit from our next guest. He is the author and star of this home video entitled... (laughs) It's that decorative holiday packaging. (laughs) This home video entitled Hoodoo, Voodoo, You Do. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Ernest Bratton, Dr. Buzzard. And he seemed to be a popular worker. I can't remember where he was from, though. So there's plenty of Dr. Buzzard, plenty of people that name thing Dr. Buzzard, call themselves Dr. Buzzard, particularly men. And Dr. Buzzard, though, really represents sort of an ancestor or a spirit of justice. He was known for chewing the root or a.k.a. Galangal. That is or or what they call chewing John in hoodoo. Chewing John is what you chew back in the day in the courtrooms. You would chew that. You would spit it under the bench in your courtroom. And it is said when you chewed that and you said your prayers, then you would be, you would go out scotch-free or you would not get whatever you were in court for. So chewing the root, that's, that's what he was known for because he was a spirit and energy of justice. That's kind of how I see Dr. Buzzer. He was, he was known to bring justice to situations and he had a really powerful relationship with chewing John in particularly, a.k.a. Galangal Root. It is also said that he learned how to work the roots because his father, according to the legend, his father was actually a witch doctor who was brought to St. Helena from West Africa. Not quite sure where. I've read different places, 
what where in West Africa? One was actually also Central Africa because I read from the Congo. But apparently he was a witch doctor where he came from. And so he is who taught Robinson how to wield his own spiritual powers. And so that's kind of how, you know, Southerners knew about who he was. Like, oh, your daddy, you know, he from Africa. <laughs> you know, you witch doctor over there. You a witch doctor over here. So he became very popular because of that. And it also kind of gave him a little extra, you know, a little extra clout, a little stamp of approval. Being descended from a, you know, alleged witch doctor, according to the Lord. Um, I wanted to share this story, one, because super popular. I can't believe I've never really talked about Dr. Buzzard on the show. I think I've only talked about him in my classes. But someone recently said to me on Twitter, I was talking about, I don't know who I was talking about, um, a male conjurer or somebody, something. And they were like, men are conjurers? Men are hoodoos? And I was like, yes. And I'm like, I've never heard of a you know, a root worker that was a man or a carter was a man. I thought it was all like women and, you know, non-binary people and trans people. And I was like, wow. I mean, I think that we sort of take up in a lot of ways, the public role, the public conjurers. And yeah, but I'm like, we have really gotten to a time where people don't even know that there are conjuring niggas. <laughs> I've always been conjuring. So I know I don't have a lot of guys who listen to the show. Some, I won't say that actually. I have guys that listen to the show for sure. Well, if you hear this, yes, please feel affirmed by him and the Gullah Jacks and all of the other conjuring men that have existed over time. I feel like a lot of men who conjure just tend to be more behind the scenes. But yes, this might be one of the most popular conjurers to ever exist <laughs> is a guy. So remember that you have hoodoos within your lineage who conjure men within your lineages. The last thing I'll say about this and what I love about um, Dr. Buzzard's work is that there's always some tools to address issues with the law and bring justice. Like when I was with Ochoci in the Yoruba tradition, you know, Ochoci is about justice and Dr. Buzzard is about justice and how do we call on use or even just learn from these particular people ancestors who knew that the shit going on out here is fucked up and the law gonna try this the police gonna try that the sheriff's gonna do this you know lock us up like how can we how can we address this in a way and undress all of these unfair cases. So I think Dr. Buzzer shows us that we can, but also shows us that the more we talk about it too loud, if we're too loud about it, there could be retribution to it. And that's a very real um, aspect of this conjuring, particularly people who conjure loudly for resistance. Um, the, 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 the very real pushback and blowback that you can get, i.e. he lost his, his, his child, his son. But yeah, so class dismissed, period. <laughs> I hope y'all learned from the stories today of these heroes, from this lore, from these, and very real stories as well, and and inspire you to be the hero and the conjurer within your own path and in your own life, with your own destiny. There's so much to learn from from speaking with people, sharing our stories now. Now we can share stories about today, about what we're doing now. So that other people can 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 talk about us, you know. So it, it's super important to just be speaking to each other and, and writing things down. And I'm so grateful that I get to do that here and and support and have this archive of so much of our the 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 magic and the medicine that we come from. Okay, so if you believe in the magic that we come from, don't forget you can support me on this mission and get some extra special content from me, particularly on patreon.com slash J-U-J-U-B-A-E. Anything helps, there's different tiers there, but um, if you join our Patreon, you can also send the voicemails that y'all seem to like from some of the earlier episodes of this season. So speaking of patrons, you know, I got to shout out my newest bays. Okay, so big shout out to Jasmine Coates. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for becoming a patron. Shout out to Nadia Heyman, Patrice Mason, 
Allie, JP, Tony Mattel, Christine, Avery Jackson, Talia Pollock. Thank you so much for becoming a patron. And I'll just read everyone because I think I said some of y'all, but no, Jupiter Brown and Monty Dawson and Trini. Thank you. Thank you all so, so much for becoming patrons. Thank you for supporting me. <laughs> thank you for sharing in the abundance that exists in this world with me. And I share it back with you tenfold, a hundredfold, a thousandfold. May you have the resources. May you have the things that you need to create, do, exist, live out your own personal destiny that we all need. So I thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Remember, we have the tools that we need that Dr. Buzzard taught us to bring about justice within our own lives. Remember from the story of Mama Glow that what we do here matters and these spirits is going to get their lick back. And from the seven sisters and particularly from Miss Ida, you know, that this journey of initiation into hoodoo is going to look different for every person. And you honestly have to figure out what that looks like for you and your own practice and the relationship that you build with your own spirits. And you can't compare that to nobody else's. As long as you are being honest, as long as you're being thoughtful, as long as you are receiving humility and, and learning and growing, that's your best bet. And that's your best place to start. So yes, I hope you all enjoyed this episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you would like to bring me, Juju Bay, to your school or organization to speak, teach, or do a workshop about hashtag black ass spirituality or ancestral religions and systems, please feel free to reach out to me at juju at itsjujubae.com and let's start this journey together. Appreciate y'all. I love you. This is the beginning of your journey. You got it. If you're in the middle, don't give up. It'd be that hump. If you're in the thick of it, oh, baby, it's a lot, but so rewarding. We love to see it. Thank y'all so much. And remember, all you need is a little juju. Later. Oh yeah, don't forget to follow me on social media at a little juju podcast at it's juju bay on TikTok, juju bay on Facebook, it's juju bay on Twitter, all the things. Okay, bye. All you need is all you need. All you need is a little juju. Our producers are Kenya Denise and Alexandra De Palma. A little juju is produced by Domino Sound. It's how I start my day. No sage, and I'll never give a play. I'll take your photo to the grave, but that ain't even my thing. I just stay at the crossroads, pray. I just pour a little honey from my face to make a stay. Cause I hate when bay leaves, but that manifest a little with my bay leaves. I'm my ancestors, baby, so I give them everything that they gave me. Yeah, so I can't be stopped. Manifested everything, give me props I'm spiritually rounded while I'm on the top My spirit's surrounded so I'll never drop, drop A little juju is my baby A little juju got me out of something crazy A little herb, a little root and then I'm wavy And it's amazing how it saved me I felt the magic was inside, I knew the whole time I got the mojo and my titties got the whole night I got some candles in the back for when it's go time, go time so do nothing without intention I thought I should mention This ain't new invention My juju's for freedom If yours not, I question No setbacks, just lessons A class is in session Now people are calling us back to tradition The spirit is saying that we got a mission So I'm gearing up when they call, I'ma listen Don't get in my way, I got pots in the kitchen All you need is a little juju All you need is a little juju All you need is a little juju All you need is all you need, all you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju. All you need is a little juju, a little juju, a little juju. 
My spirits always keep me in the loop So before you lie, I hope you tell the truth Cause I can't speak on what they may decide to do Protected in my truth I'm grounded in my roots and my roots now Non-believers think this is a flu But there's something about you made me see the proof I know you thirsty cause you fiending for my juice But you got it too You got it too, yes you do And all you need is a little juju I got libations and calories that owe me tutu Intention is power and that's the hoodoo That's the voodoo, that's the true you That's the true you your intention is power and that's the hoodoo That's the voodoo, that's the true you That's the true you And all you need is a little juju